This morning we're beginning a new sermon series through the book of Titus, and we're going to spend several weeks walking through this brief letter. That'll bring us up into the Advent season, and then in the in the lead-up to Christmas, we'll kind of camp out in the book of Isaiah, thinking about the coming of Christ, and then uh, if you didn't know it already, Christmas is on a Sunday this year, so Christmas Sunday, we'll uh, talk about Christmas. Um, today, as we come to the book of Titus, we're going to be looking at the first section in Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, and I just want to read the passage for us, and then I'll pray. So um, you're welcome to turn there in your Bibles now. If you want to follow along, it is printed in your bulletin. You can read along there as well. But Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable. Speak through your word. Would you instruct? Would you build up your church? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, what I want to do is spend a few moments introducing the book of Titus by just walking through that opening greeting in Paul's letter, verses 1 to 4, and then we'll spend the bulk of our time looking at what Paul has to say about elders in verses 5 to 9. And so, uh, fair warning, today is going to be a little more teachy than preachy. <laughs> it's, it's just the nature of the material here as Paul gives practical instruction about church life. And, and even though uh, it can seem rather mundane, it is quite relevant for us as a church. And so, we have this letter here, you can see in the, in the opening verses, this brief letter written by the Apostle Paul to one of his close ministry partners, a man named Titus. You may remember Titus from other parts of Scripture. He's a Gentile convert to the Christian faith, uh, a man who worked very closely with Paul in ministry over the course of, of years, if not decades. And, and I do want to point out here, even though this letter is written to a specific individual, Titus, who's a missionary of sorts, uh, Paul assumes that the whole church is listening in. So at the end of the letter, the end of chapter 3, Paul says, grace be with you all, plural. Most likely this letter was read in a, in a church gathering. And so uh, the church needed to hear what Paul had to say to Titus. We today, Grace Bible Church, need to hear these instructions just as much as Titus did. And so Paul writes to his, his ministry partner, and we see the situation, verse 5. Uh, Paul has left Titus on the island of Crete. Um, 
you know, a large island in the Mediterranean Sea, south of mainland Greece. And, and apparently Paul and Titus had gone there together on, on essentially a missionary journey. And now, for some reason, Paul had to move on, and he leaves Titus behind to finish the work. And so he tells Titus, you know, I, I left you there to put what remains into order, um, to finish establishing and organizing these young churches in this new area. And these young Christians on Crete, they lived in a very godless culture, a very immoral culture. Next week, as we look at the rest of chapter 1, we'll see Paul addresses some of that. And they are struggling to live out their faith in Christ. There is, there is a gap between what they believe, what they profess, the gospel that they've embraced, and the way they live. And in many ways, that is a perennial struggle for us as Christians, isn't it? To, to connect Sunday and all that goes on here on Sundays to Monday through Saturday. You know, I, I think many of us probably wrestle with questions about what does it look like to live as a Christian in my family? How do I relate to my family in a Christian way? Uh, what does being a Christian in the workplace look like? Um, how does the gospel, how does this good news that I've embraced about God's mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, how does that shape my interactions with non-Christian neighbors? Uh, we'll see in chapter 3, Paul even gets at the question, um, what should be our attitude toward the government? And I looked at the preaching calendar this morning. I think we get to that passage right after Election Day. So it, it should be pertinent. Well, that's the struggle, right? Connecting or bringing together gospel doctrine and gospel practice, letting what we believe shape how we live. And that is Paul's burden in this letter. That, that is why he writes to Titus. He wants to help Titus help these churches bring together believing and living. And he'll say later in chapter 2 that, that God's people, that followers of Jesus Christ, he wants to see their lives adorn the gospel. And that we've titled this series, Adorning the Gospel. He wants to see the church embody the good news of Jesus Christ, and to see um, all that's involved, all the implications of the gospel worked out in a life of practical godliness. And the apostle of Jesus Christ, so there's his, his vocation, an ambassador or messenger of Christ, Lord Jesus. And, and Paul does something here, you know, when if I don't write letters, I write emails, I just say, dear so-and-so, and move on. You know, Paul just uses this as an opportunity to just rejoice in the good news. He says, I'm a servant of, of God, apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, and then he starts to talk just about the gospel. And he says some astounding things here. Uh, verse 2, that this gospel was promised before the ages began on the world. And Paul says, I, I've been entrusted with this message. And when he talks here about his goal as, as a servant, as an apostle, to deepen the, the knowledge of God's people, their, their knowledge of the truth. He says, it, grace teaches us to, to put off what is sinful and displeasing to God and to, learn, to cultivate a life of practical godliness. And so 
grace. You, you begin the Christian life embracing the grace of God offered in the Gospel, and you go on in the Gospel. And so, just to summarize, Titus, the book of Titus is about connecting Gospel doctrine and Gospel practice so that our lives adorn the Gospel. So that our lives reflect and embody the good news of Jesus Christ before a watching world. That, that is what Titus is about. And that's what we're hoping to grow in, to continue growing in as a church as we study this letter over the next several weeks. But that raises a question. How does it happen? How, how does that gap between what we believe and, and how we live, how, how does it get bridged? And how do we grow in faith and knowledge that lead to godliness? And, and Paul's starting point in verse 5 is a bit surprising, actually, I, I think. If, if you're tracking with Paul, he wants to see the church adorn the gospel. And, okay, Paul, well, how do we do that? How does that happen? And he starts with church leaders. He starts with, he says that if a church is going to adorn the gospel, it needs godly leaders. And I want you to see this morning three things about church leaders from verses 5 to 9. And the first is this. We need elders. And, and we, I'm talking about us as a church, Grace Bible Church, any local church really, but we need elders. Verse 5, Paul says again, this, he says to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remain. And how is Titus going to go about that work of, of or finishing the organization and establishing of these new churches? Well, he tells him, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Appoint elders. You're, you're going to set things straight here in these churches. You're going you're to finish establishing them by, by appointing godly leaders. And, and so, what is an elder? You know, and I'll confess, I, I've been part of elder-led churches for over 20 years. I've been ordained as an elder for for nearly 13 years, and that word just still sounds strange to me. You know, if, if you've ever seen the the film The Village, and you've got the the village elders, and they're these strange kind of shadowy figures, that that's what comes to mind when I hear the word elders. But Elder, or it could be translated presbyter, is the most common term in the New Testament for what we would call pastor. Elders are pastors. They're shepherds. Elder and elder eldership is, is one of the two offices uh, spelled out in the church offices, spelled out in the New Testament, the other being uh, deacons, which we'll talk about another time. But Paul says here, appoint elders, appoint pastors in these churches. Well, what do elders do? And when I made the transition uh, a number of years ago from you know, full-time software engineer to full-time pastor, a lot of my software colleagues were kind of, they were very curious. They, they didn't kind of come across this very often, and a number of them asked me, well, what do pastors actually do? I mean, you, you just kind of do show up on Sundays, right? And, and it's just a couple of hours. Uh, a number of them asked me, is that even a full-time job? <laughs> and, and yes, it is. <laughs> uh, but elders oversee. They oversee the, the doctrine and the life of a church. In verse 7, you can see there Paul 
refers to the elders as overseers, a different term, but it's the same pastoral office. Elder really emphasizes the the maturity of the individual. Overseer highlights the pastoral responsibility of the office. So elders, Paul says, verse 7, must be above reproach um, because they are God's steward. They are God's steward. And that's an allusion to the the ancient, um, an allusion to ancient household stewards, an individual who would be, um, in a sense, commissioned by the head of the household to really oversee all the affairs of the household. And this, this individual had to be somebody of character, somebody who was trustworthy, because they had to make sure everything was in order. They had to make sure that the kids were fed, that they were educated, that the other servants were doing you know, their duties, and a, a faithful overseer or a faithful household steward really promoted the flourishing of the household. And so likewise, elders or overseers, um, that is the role we play in. And so elders oversee the church through their teaching ministry. Second, by shepherd elders or a model for elders, they, they, say in, they said in Acts 6 that they will devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And, and James tells his re- plural in every town. And, and, and likely in that context, you had house churches in each of the individual villages or many of the villages on the island. And, and Paul says each congregation needs a team of elders to lead it. Um, both here in the, in the book of Titus, also 1 Timothy 3, his instructions assume a plurality of elders. That's not to say that every, every elder needs to be a, a full-time pastor. Um, that all, you know, authority than the other. Uh, neither myself nor Craig are the senior pastor just because we preach the word um, regularly. And, and that, that team aspect of church leadership, it really means that you know, those who aspire to really need to uh, be good uh, team players. And I don't mean just go along with the party line, but able to work with others. And, and we're going to see in a few moments when we look at the qualifications, so many of, of the qualifications uh, involve different strengths to complement each other. It really produces a, a well-rounded ministry uh, no one pastor has all the gifts that it allows for multiple gifts, multiple strengths to, to work together. Uh, plurality allows for the burden of caring for a church to be shared. Um, you know, even Paul, you know, we look at Paul as just kind of this tireless, you know, evangelist and church planter and just this, you know, one man show. But in reality, Paul worked as part of a team. I mean, he's writing to Titus here with whom he did a lot of ministry. He had Barnabas, he had Timothy. Um, in nearly every one of his letters, he just lists off all these people who a plurality allows for the, the work of, of pastoring to be shared. I, I was talking with a pastor friend just this past week, and his church is light on elders right now. A number of his elders have moved out of the area or they've just had to take a break, and, and he is overwhelmed there, it, it's not even that, it's a smaller church than ours, and, and he is just overwhelmed by the needs. It's, 
it's more than one person can really take on. And, and I'm so thankful to be part of a, a team of elders here. But also, plurality can prevent abuses of power. You know, it, it would be much too easy for a, a solo leader, a solo pastor, to kind of treat the church as his own little personal kingdom. And, and ideally, working as part of a team can... In verse 5, he goes on in verses 6 to 9 to tell Titus what to look for. So he gives just kind of in, in rapid fashion just this list of the kinds of qualities to be looking for in, in men who would be elder candidates. And, and um, as we begin to look at these, I, I just want you to be aware of much of the focus here is character. Is character. Um, gifting is important. Paul's going to talk about that, and he talks about it in other places. But godly character is primary. And, and, it, and it makes sense, right? If How can an elder disciple a congregation toward greater godliness if he himself is not godly? And so Paul gives some um, instruction here. What, what came in there? Who, um, no one would look at that person and say, wow, I can't believe that guy is a pastor. I mean, I, I've seen him outside of Sundays. I just can't believe that, that he is an elder. Um, Paul is, is not pointing toward perfection, but, but really maturity, spiritual and ethical maturity. And so the, the remainder of the list is really examples of what that looks like. Um, before we look at the particulars, let me just say, we need a balanced perspective when we think about what it means for somebody to be qualified to be a pastor or an elder. You know, some churches pay little attention to this kind of thing. You know, it, what they, they want somebody who is maybe successful in the business world, somebody who has a, a dynamic personality, a real engaging um, speaker, and, and might look at these qualifications as, well, that's nice to have, but um, not really that important. Other churches can tend to erect uh, a standard that is almost um, unattainable. You know, it's just unity and godliness. And so Paul really says here that, that an elder needs to be above reproach in three areas. And, and first, in his family life. He says, verse 6, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Literally there, as he addresses the, the, the man's marriage, he says, a one-woman man. Now, that doesn't mean that an elder has to be married. doesn't mean an elder who's been remarried for various reasons cannot, or some, a man who's been remarried can't be an elder. His commitment to his wife um, or his love and care for his wife. He's, he's not a flirt. He, he's not um, you know, addicted to porn. He's a, a loyal husband. Even to receive criticism is not going to work well as part of a team. And so Paul says, not arrogant. He goes on, not quick-tempered. In other words, not a hothead. In other words, not a bully. And, and 1 Timothy 3.3 adds the positive counterpart, not, not violent, but gentle. But gentle. You know, a, a physically violent man has no place in pastoral ministry. And, and the same is really true for a, a man who's characterized by emotional and, and verbal violence, an emotional bully, a, a verbal bully. 
uh, really has no place in pastoral ministry. And, you know, sadly, being a bully has kind of become a virtue in evangelical circles. You know, men are encouraged to be jerks. But the reality is that really any of us, man or woman, and then a teaching ministry has to include both of these aspects. And, um, you know, I, I think most of us who are elders would, would prefer to just concentrate on the positive side, building believers up. But there are times where an elder must rebuke. And, and Paul's going to talk about that more next week, where an elder must confront error and, and counter it with sound instruction. Um, John Calvin said, a, a pastor needs two voices, one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away wolves and thieves. And so Paul says, look, you need, you need elders. <laughs> to be a church that adorns the gospel well, you need pastors. And you need multiple pastors and you need godly Pastors. That, that is Paul's strategy for promoting godliness in the local church. Um, men who are shaped by the gospel, making gospel-shaped disciples. That, that's the model. Now, Paul will have more to say about what goes into adorning the gospel, but this is where he starts. And so, just to, to conclude, um, you know, what, do you, what do you do with this? <laughs> Let me ask you to do two things. Um, pray for your elders. That's, that's the first one. Pray for your elders. You know, pray that we would continue to grow in godly character. You know, I have no question whatsoever that my fellow elders are, are godly men, but I know that each of us desires to continue growing in Christ-like character. Pray that the Lord would protect us from the common pitfalls that pastors face, you know, pride, arrogance, sexual sin, and, and so forth. Um, pray that we would lead in a Jesus way, that, that we would indeed be men who are gentle and humble. Um, pray that through our ministry, Grace Bible Church would more and more uh, reflect Christ and adorn the gospel. So pray for us. I, I know that many of you, often, you, know, you tell us that you do pray for us. Keep doing it. We, we need your prayers. The second and last thing, uh, pray for more elders. Pray for more elders. Um, having too many elders is not a problem that Grace Bible Church has. <laughs> there are four of us right now. We would love to have more. Pray for the Lord to give us gospel-shaped men who, who love Christ and love Christ's people, men through whom uh, Grace Bible will more and more adorn the gospel. So pray. Pray for us. Pray for more. Um, let me close in prayer. God and Father, we, we thank you for the clarity of your word that lays out how your church should be ordered and led. And we pray, Father, that you would help those of us who are elders to continue to grow in these Christ-like um, qualities that we would continue to embody uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would embody it more and more. And we pray, Father, for all of us as a church that uh, we would indeed adorn the gospel with our lives, whether that's in the family, the workplace, in public, Lord, that, that through us, however dimly, the, the world would get a glimpse of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.